So I was thinking about what's going on uh, with the presidential contest right now and how that relates to organizing and technology and also uh, individual and collective resistance against American oligarchy. And uh, it really just struck me that you have to now ask folks who are very wealthy, whose side are you fighting on? Are you, are you fighting uh, with the people or are you fighting with uh, your tax bracket? And uh, you have to ask is, uh, is it worse to be a Bernie bro or is it worse to uh, allow other human beings to die and have shorter lifespans just so you can be slightly more comfortable? Um, so today, uh, I'm really glad to have my friend uh, Ben Dixon with us. Um, and I wanted to go like off script just a little bit and talk uh, more about um, about religion. And, and the reason I want to talk about that is, you know, they they accuse folks in politics of having like uh, cult-like attributes. And uh, I am personally am a cult survivor, uh, an apostate, you know, someone who left, uh, left an abusive religion uh, in adulthood. And uh, I think that, that my time in the church from being a very young child to later joining an even more severe version of evangelical Christianity um, in, in, and how it shaped my, uh, thoughts about politics because I think that there's a there's a wedge right now developing and Ben I think you talk on your show um, which I'm uh, an ardent listener to and we do the the, the patron dance like every morning I, can't <laughs> I love it I have to I have to send you a video but you talk about um, the difference in the presidential race in the polling between um, uh, uh, younger uh, African-American voters and, and older folks. And that's right. super important in South Carolina, but I don't think it's, it's unique to African-Americans. There's a huge divide in support for like Bernie Sanders or a more conservative candidate uh, or a Trump um, based on, on age. And actually, I don't think it's the same with Trump. I think Trump has a diverse base of, of conservative supporters, whereas we have a diverse right. base of left supporters. Yeah, I think, uh, first, thanks for having me, Adriel. Love, um, love your content, love your work. And you. um, I've, I, it was funny, I've been, telling, I've been thinking in my mind, Adriel has to do a podcast, and lo and behold, you're already doing it. So <laughs> that works hey, out. We're only like it a dozen episodes me. in, so thanks for joining us so early. Hey, no, my pleasure. So, you know, I come from a religious background also. Uh, my father was a pastor for 41 years before he passed away. Uh, so I was a PK. I grew up I, mm -hmm. in church every Sunday. 41 years he was a pastor before he passed away. I actually tried to pastor myself. I pastored for about three years of a, uh, a small church that I started in a school. Wow. And the only reason we stopped, honest, quite honestly, we stopped because there was just no money. The recession mm -hmm. had just mm -hmm. kicked in. Everybody was losing their jobs. Hell, I lost my job as a teacher at the same time. And I was on the verge of homelessness while I was still trying to run a church. And uh, here's where I think it, it impacts on um, this, this, uh, our voting and, and the demographic breakdown of people who support Bernie Sanders and those who don't. Uh, a lot of the older, particularly in the African-American community, a lot of the older African-Americans are far more religious than the younger African-Americans. Um, and I think that that would have um, a role. To, so here, you got to divide it along this line. What do you use your faith for? Do you use your faith to change the world around you? Or do you use your faith to maintain your level of comfort? Um, are you in power and trying to maintain power and you use religion to do that? Or are you out of power and you see other people out of power and you use religion to address that? Um, a lot of young people, if they're religious at all, they're like me, 
and their religion has to inform their activism, their participation in changing the system around them versus a lot of, and this is not categorical, right? There's a lot of older uh, Christian socialists who are just as radical as I would right, ever dream, right. probably more and Catholics so, right? as well, right? Some of the folks who right. get been arrested the most are like monks and nuns. Exactly. So this is not to speak categorically, or this is not an okay boomer kind of situation, right. but it really, it, it really boils down to how does that individual interpret their religion? Uh, there's a, there's going to be an age correlation, but I don't yeah, think it's do you, called, do you, right? Do you think that it's also just like, um, it's generational in the sense that if you learned what religion was about in a cultural period where the dominant paradigm was very um, puritanical, you know, I feel like, like, like the liberation movement is not very old generationally. It's not, it's not uh, the liberation. Like we're in the beginning of like um, the second enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Right. The second wave, Look, we're, we're basically in the second wave of, um, of the liberation movement. I believe the first wave, and I'm just, I'm really basing it, off of a couple of books from a Latin author, a Latin priest, who actually was at the core of the uh, the beginning of the liberation movement. Now, mind you, though, the liberation theology, the the the, in, the intellectual underpinnings or precursors, rather, is what they would say. I mean, it's in the Bible. And so, really, what's weird? What happened is when you look at um, you look more at Constantine, and you look at the real quick shift that Christianity took from being um, the religion of the oppressed to being the religion of the oppressor really quick, almost right. in one battle. Right. Right. You know? Well, and it also and, took, it took like violent men seizing the theology, right? Like, Oh yeah. Turning it into like, oh, yeah. you know, like the kind of, there's such a difference. There's people who like wash the feet of the poor. And then there's people who self flagellate, like imagine the yeah. difference in those, um, in, in how that person is the thinking. And so this is, oh, I guess this is a really like a big entry point for me in thinking about how uh, political battles play out. And, you know, both of us are really active on Twitter in particular, but all forms of social media, you know, we both have worked right. professionally in this industry and now we're both doing our own thing. And I, I actually, it's funny because the crowdsourcing model is so, um, much like having to run a church because you rely yeah. on the donations of the members. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the hilarious part, man. Like, I thought I got away from church, but every... Uh, but every, now you have your show as your church, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. My show is my church, and every episode I have to ask for an offering. And it, it, <laughs> it, it was, if you go back to my first couple of uh, years, I never asked for anything. And yeah. I would never yeah. tell anybody, but, you know, my life... You couldn't off, do it. You, you can't know? do it. How did you do it? Yeah. It was... It was it wasn't until it wasn't until I just got to the point where I'm like, okay, if this is going to work, the people have got to fund me, right? And yeah. it became a, an act of desperation to say, listen, I've got something to say, and nobody else is paying me to say it. Will you pay me to say it? Right. And so, you know, for a while there, slowly but surely grew very steadily, and then with this whole Bloomberg thing, it kind of just blew the roof off of it, and we doubled in like a single week. So it's like. It is still a ministry. It's still a ministry. It's still something I'm doing because at the core of my faith background is to serve, is to wash the feet of the people, right? Yeah, and yeah. so you can break all this down 100% based on if they are a religious person, what is their interpretation of faith? To wash the feet of the people or to use it to preserve their power? Right. And I think that these are such important questions to ask. It's funny because um, sometimes people say like, you know, uh, you know, Buddhism, like, uh, you know, the guy who founded Apple, Steve Jobs, you know, he was a Buddhist. And then you're like, uh, my friend said to me, I, I don't remember what we were even talking about. This is a few years back. And he, and he goes, you know, without all that money, 
Steve Jobs just an ass to his family. <laughs> I just cracked up because it's like um, everyone's out there just doing their thing. And it comes yeah. down to like, are you someone who is like good to other people or not? And I think that's why right. the Sanders uh, banner is up because either I do believe that the majority of people are pretty of goodwill to each other. But, and then some people it's grudgingly, some people it's who they totally are. And then there's some real predators and they sort of always end up on the top in capitalism. If I have a working thesis for this part, this stage of my life, that's it right now, right? It's like, does, does the universe, is the moral arc of the universe long and does it actually tend towards justice because it doesn't feel like that some of the time right, right? it feels like sometimes you feel limbaugh. like being crushed man right look at rush limbaugh one of the most twisted and demented propagandists in um, in world history getting awarded the medal of freedom during the state of the union speech you pause and you think like you've got to be kidding me. Just of it is, is like if we look at our present moment, I feel like we've created, just like you said, we've created a system that the worst people can foment to the top, but the worst practices can foment to the top. Like, can, could we not think of a system better than allowing profiteers to squeeze that quarterly profit margin out of people who are dying of cancer? Here's my grand thesis of the universe, right? <laughs> it's that every, I know, right? It, I hope, am that, I breaking this I, news? Your grand thesis of the universe? Or you you probably are. Show? Like, I've never been, listen, I have never been above admitting I have delusions of grandeur. But the funny thing is, it's like the more, the more we work on it, the more feasible it actually seems. So what I'm going to say, you know, grand theory of the universe, but it's actually really practical. I think what we've done in capitalism is that we've treated every individual as something that is disposable because mm. that was the model to maximize your profit. Mm. And if you mm. flip that on its head, really every if you look at every individual as something is valuable that can add value to you, then you would see that. Imagine a society where the poorest person relative right now is living a life of, of a millionaire. Forget right. about a billionaire. Imagine if the poorest person in the street had the relative experience of a billionaire. Now, I don't care what you have as a trillionaire. Bless you. I'm not jealous of you because now we have eradicated poverty. We have eradicated right. hunger. Right. We've made sure right. everybody right. has a level the of The tension living. is because and people are suffering and we care about it. Right. Right. That's the We're fundamental. Like, can I tell you, do I want to be mad online eight hours a day? Do you think that, like, that's what I want? Hell fucking no. But I don't want people to have to be out in the streets in five years. It, it really goes back to how you interpret a person, your neighbor. Why do you see your neighbor? Are they a value add or is there someone for you to take something from? Mm. If they are a value add, then you create a community. If it's someone you need to take something from, then you create chaos and you have perpetual war. And so we have built our entire system from the international order all the way down to our neighbors and how we treat our friends. As enemies. As enemies. Yeah. When we could have been colleagues. Yeah, it's, it's upside down. So your, your grand master thesis is flip it upside down again. Flip it. Flip yeah. it upside down one more time. Treat everyone like they are valuable. Because think of it like this. If you can make a million dollars out of taking my last dollar, how much can you make if I had – $100,000 left over, right? If I have, if the more, it's real simple, the more disposable income I have to spend, the more money the system makes, the more wealth that is created, the greater the GDP, the bigger the pie. It's not as though we've been playing capitalism as a zero sum game. There was never a reason we had to, except right. for greed. Right.
Right. Well, so if you think about it, and it is, it is greed because you think about all of the industries that are threatened by the movement. And, you know, you don't even have to put Senator Sanders' name in there because you could call it the AOC brigade. You call it whatever the fuck mm -hmm. you want. There are a hundred names, you know, there are a thousand names. And, and to your thesis, every individual name is part of this movement. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's, Can I and I think that, I that, that, something. Yeah. Let me interject something really quickly because I kind of got off on my tangent. The, the, the principle, though, is like you said, the principle is every individual finding their lane. Because I swear on everything, man, listen, what are the freaking odds that the, the video that would insert me into the national conversation would fall in my lap at the precise time in my life where I'm uniquely fit to lead point on this, right? right? Right. It, it'd be different if it fell into someone else's lap who was just a really good journalist. They put it out, and that was that. But no, you can stay on lap. it. You can stay on oh it. You can own this your lane. This is my lane, baby. Yeah. This is my lane. And I think if we look at every individual, even a homeless person on the street, and said, say they either have a lane or they had a lane, everybody has something that they can contribute. Then we turn this on the paradigm, and we start extracting value out of valuable people versus disposable assets. And can I tell you the most uh, valuable piece of social content I saw this week uh, outside of the fight against Bloomberg, which I do think is the fight of our lives. I think that this class warfare, you basically have to tell every billionaire, you're either on the side of the people or you're on the side of the oppressor. There is no middle. There is no middle, yes. you know? Exactly. Um, it exactly. doesn't exist. There are two sides. They're fighting right now. Which one are you on? Yeah. But right. um, the best side. piece of hopeful content uh, and nice content and not enraging content uh, and not enraged <laughs> content was uh, my friend Emily in Fresno uh, registering homeless folks to vote. And um, oh, wow. one of the local TV stations did a piece and they were interviewing. And, and you get these people who live on the street saying, you know, I really feel better because I'm participating. Mm. And it's like, that's literally, you just have to treat other humans like they're humans and that they have the yeah. same basic needs as you do. And you know, that's yeah. why I'm an advocate for library socialism and the irreducible minimum. Yeah. Like, what if, Ben, I love how on your show you're like, when, when I go out with my wife, we, look to like, we like to look fly, you know? Like, I have to be able to keep <laughs> up with like, I have to take care of my wife if I'm gonna take care of you guys on the show, you know? And I'm like, all right, yeah. then, I mean, I should be like throwing 20s at you at that point, right? And, 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 but what, what, what library socialism says, and this is the thing. And then Bloomberg is such a, a horrible ass because he's, he's saying like, Bernie, you're a communist, but you have three houses. And it's like, socialism is not about being poor. It's about making sure everyone does well. And that's like, it's just, it's, you're right. It's capitalism flipped right on its head. It's like, we've been living in the upside down. Here's why podcasts are so important. If I could wax. Uh, I don't know what this is, philosophical, whatever. It's important because we have the ability to explore the conversation that mainstream media would never explore, mm. right? The conversation that you just had and the way that you framed it, it comes from a depth of the time that you've committed to thinking about this problem. Like, this is a problem that has plagued you in your mind probably longer than you realize. You probably were asking questions about this problem when you were a kid, right, in some form or fashion. And that's because you have a particular message that that has to be said in our time. Like we, I, I believe everybody has been assigned a message to say. Like maybe that's the religious side of me, I don't know. You know, but it is respected, it follows your philosophy, Ben. Right, right, it, it really, and so what you have just outlined, we have the ability through podcasts to permanently, I mean, so long as our, our data infrastructure is accessible, 
whether, you know, long time in the future or not, as long as our data is accessible, what we're saying on these podcasts become a record. And we are speaking to another generation that we don't even know yet. We could be speaking to the present, most certainly. But what you just said was a model that someone in the future will be able to look up and see that there's a better way if we do X, Y, and Z, as Adriel just outlined. And I think that's why everyone needs to understand that their voice is important because there is an issue that plagues them, that has seized them. Like, you've been thinking about this for a while, Adriel, right? And I can't stress how important that is, is the fact that now you're operating based on the thing that apprehended you, right? You've been trying to figure out this problem, but this problem has been trying to figure you out, right? It's, it needed you to, to voice it. And I think that's what we want to start spreading in this progressive movement is that everyone, there's no big I and little you. Like, I, I appreciate people putting me on their shoulders and retweeting me and sharing me. And, and I definitely need the funds because, you know what I mean, I'm working class. Like, so right. thank you for every patron, right? But at the same time, my core message is that you are just as important as me, as important as Adriel, right. as, as important as Bernie Sanders. And if we do that, then we, we actually act out what I said. We show that everyone has value, and now everyone has value. Everyone is contributing to this pie. Imagine the wealth and the problems that we can solve when everyone is treated like they have value. Right, right. And there's a, there's a really just like hyper-practical example along – I'm like – so I'm now caught up in my metaphor of the future, right? Uh, right. It is that if we wanted – like one of our biggest problems in society right now is plastics, right? They're everywhere. Like you can't get around it. And they're all going – like they're all just like piling up all over the world. It's ridiculous. And in the ocean. All you would have to do is, is say in California, we're only going to have biodegradable plastics, right? And mm -hmm. instead of oil waste plastics, right? And overnight, you would actually create a massive new industry because you would fund it. Right. And you'd have like a, a, like a transition fund. Podcasts are the, the, they're the literature of our time. You know, this is where, oh. this is the, the letters that people are writing to each other, but we're yeah. doing it in public. So it has that much more impact. Right. And that's the brilliant thing about it. Like, it's like we're giving the real time history of our present. Right. Like right. We're, we're looking at what's happening right now and we're giving we're giving a raw. We don't we will need historians. Yes. Right. But we are able to give our raw emotion about what we saw and what we experienced. And then we get it from so many different vantage points. Right. Right. If we had a million podcasts. Like that still would still be shaping what the reality of truth is, right? There's there's a million different opinions about what happened last night right. on um yeah on the on debate, the, on the right? pods. Oh yeah, exactly. And, but, oh, and, about and, the and, debate. And, yeah, there are a million different yeah. opinions about the debate, and I it is overwhelming, but at the same time, it's so democratic. Exactly, we're democratizing history. Right. Democ Podcasts wow. are democratizing wow. history. And I think that is, I don't think we realize exactly how powerful that is yet, right? We, right. right now we're just doing it, but we're in the middle of something that's revolutionary for the future because it's the historians who really teach the future, right? It's the historians who inform the kids of the future, but the kids of the future aren't going to have need for traditional historians who choose what to put in the books. Like, so long as our data is accessible, I think one of the most critical things for the future is to make sure that our data is, is accessible in the most democratized form possible. Well, honestly, no I think that's why someone like Bloomberg, and I, I think we're in agreement in this, that having someone who is a technocrat instead of a, a plutocrat, like, 
I, I think that Bloomberg, I believe that your analysis that these folks make a lot of money while they're in government, like that's how people get rich is just they kind oh, yes. of like take over all the industry and the government. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have um, this specific problem of being very efficient at uh, managing a society of oppression. And when you're very efficient at managing a society of oppression, um, that gets Part of uh, that like Trump. I feel like he's like a looter. Like he's like breaking windows and taking <laughs> taking yeah. things out. He's like carrying a refrigerator, you know, that he thinks is valuable. You know, and that's kind of like what you, I think you talked about the the cost of staying in his hotel. That's like chump change compared to what you do when you can take over a government or an industry for generations. And right. we have um, a people's movement you know, led by not just Bernie Sanders, it's led by so many people. And I love that, like, we're getting some press about, like, arguments between the AOC team and Sanders team. And I was like, I love it right. because it shows they're not, they're not, it's not a cult. These are people looking out for exactly. their interests and the interests of their constituents. And that's actually how politics should be. It's like, it's supposed to be a little bit messy because it replaces much messier conflict, but it needs to be transparent <laughs> or else we're all getting fleeced. Yeah, what's it? Uh, if I hadn't tried to think of this guy's name, it's a German philosopher who said war is politics um, by lesser means. By other yeah, means, yeah, by that's funny. Is I don't remember that. Yeah, or something like that. We can we can verify that and and cut it out. Yeah, if it's not. but I think the reverse. I think the reverse is what we where we are now. Like I think we need to say politics is war by other means. Right? We are choosing to battle through the realm of politics, social media has given us access to being soldiers on the field, right? And we have the ability to change the momentum of our, literally like the craziest thing for me is to think about my little research, right. my three Google searches right. has changed the conversation nationally and possibly gotten rid of an oligarch out of the conversation. Right. And, so that's <laughs> and then his, yeah, between that and then his debate performance. And I think yes. I had somebody deal. say to me, we did this, you know, we shaped yes. the way that that debate went, because like, exactly. I, you know, if that news was not common knowledge that Liz brought up when she just slammed yes. into him at the opening, I'm like it was basically it posters who made that public. It wasn't journalists going out and doing it because they have the interest of maintaining the power structure that feeds them right now. Exactly. And that is why independent media, like I swear on everything, the most important thing to the future of America is independent media, which most frequently rep uh, manifests itself in the form of podcasting. Right. Wow. And the reason I say that is because we have not only the flexibility and the autonomy to do these types of things, but we have the financial incentive to do it too. See, the financial incentive on our end is to tell the fucking truth right, right, and to right. speak the truth that other people won't because they left that door wide open. Wow. CNN could have had that clip, but they didn't do it. They didn't do the basic research because they didn't want to see it. And here's, and here's the wave of the future, man. You have three ways of interpreting information that you don't like. You can interpret the information as a threat, right? This is a threat. Um, let's take let's take the um, uh, green power, uh, uh, electric power versus uh, fossil fuels, right? Right, right. These companies, these companies could take the the problem of fossil fuels and say, okay, it's a this is a threat to our industry, so let's crush it, let's suppress it. That's what they do. They, we do that with anything. Somebody say something, says something that we don't like on Twitter. What do we do? 
we either ignore it or we block it and we are, or we attack it. So when, when information comes up that we don't like, we can attack it. And we only usually attack it if it's a threat to our power. The second mm-hmm. model is if, if you accept it and it's like no, neither here nor there, it doesn't really affect me. I like it so long as it doesn't affect me, right? Those are the neutral people in the conversation. They're not really neutral. They're just neutral because this particular data point isn't bothering us. Right. So let's say somebody, I don't know who would fit in that, in that green uh, example, who would fit in that model. But then the third group, those are the people who take the negative information and sees it as a, it is a problem, but you also see it as an opportunity because if we fix this problem, then that creates more opportunity for everybody, right? right? Like you right. just spent the whole majority of the show saying, listen, if we do this, we could do that. If we do this, this is a whole new sector. And so you took this negative information that the, that the uh, traditional um, gas and oil industry, they reject and they try to suppress. But what did you do? You created opportunity. And see, what they don't realize is now the ball is in your court. And just like I had the opportunity to make national news because CNN and all the other organizations saw this information as a threat. They knew this was out there. Right, right. They They knew knew that was was out out there, there. but they didn't want to be the one to put it out and get criticism from their peers and the media, et cetera. And you did it and you took that criticism and you just wrote it like a wave. Exactly. And what I'm trying to tell people is that how you accept information that could be a threat to you really depends on your viability uh, as a company, as a reporter, as a journalist, and quite frankly, as a species, because if we keep doing that in terms of rejecting the information that's inconvenient about our environment, then uh, we will be a cancer to this planet. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty grim. It's the one I think about a lot as a father, you know, and I actually think like, um, the other thing I like about your show and is is the world needs more fathers like it needs guys who are willing yeah. to say look um hey i wouldn't let michael bloomberg coach my kids sports team i'm sure as hell not going to let yeah. him be president exactly exactly and also the, the flip side of that right i also put my father hat on when i'm like listen i want the, i need this system to work right because changing a system is one of the most cataclysmic things that we can consider Right. So I am not your radical who's going to say, let's go to the streets unless, Adriel, unless we have just been on the edge so long and then they push us over. Once you push someone over into the edge of hopelessness, over the edge of hopelessness, you don't know how people are going to respond. So as a father, I'm trying to preempt that. I'm trying to make right, sure that we don't get right, there. I'm not right. Like we're Democratic. all out here trying to change the system nonviolently. And, yes. uh, and right now and we're I'm winning. So them, that's the good thing. <laughs> right. And what I'm trying to tell the Democratic Party is you need to consider the place that a lot of people are in right now is that they are living on the knife's edge. And if yeah. you push them over the, over the edge based on your desire to protect yourself from this new information, that is a, this new information that you have seen is that the people won't burn it. Yeah. How do you handle that? Yeah. How do you, you handle that? How do you handle that? And I think, can I say, Ben, the call to action for me repeatedly this week has been we have to hit them twice as hard and with twice as much accuracy because we are winning and yeah. we can't let yeah. them get back up. Right, right. We got it's a double tap. We got a double tap. Right. So let them be. Um, let them continue to try to be villains. They're they really hate bad the Obama and Clinton villains. people because they think they're inept. But these guys haven't been in politics for twenty years and they don't understand it. It's so weird. It's like a tragic yeah. comedy. No, it's, right? 
right in front of us. It is exactly that. Like we are living in a tragic comedy. It's writing itself. It could not write itself any better. Bloomberg, how beautiful was it to see that these highly regarded billionaires who, you know, have are all powerful based on their money to get on stage with common folks like Bernie Sanders and be made look to look like a fool. Like, you <laughs> I love it. I love it. You can't, you can't get any better. better. Um, ben, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. I want to, I, we should do it again and have like a theme, right? Cause we talked about like religion and clean power in the presidential election. We should pick different yeah. themes uh, because and it's kind of fun to just chop it. it up, you know, and, and yeah. rant about some of this stuff. I love it. Make sure to send it to me so I can share it with as many people as possible. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks. Take care, everybody.